Welcome to the Mere Catholicity Podcast, pursuing ecumenism through theological discussions and dialogues. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mere Catholicity Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jonah Saller. And before we get into the content today, I want to remind you guys that if you like what you see, if you enjoy this show and you enjoy the videos and the content that I produce, I would appreciate if you click the link below and join my Locals page. There you can join for free and join with a like-minded group of Christian brothers and sisters who are all striving together to uphold and move into a deeper Catholicity in the faith. There's some new features that I'm adding, such as a private Discord server where we can chat back and forth in an actual open dialogue. Those benefits come for paid supporters only, so I hope that some of that would be an incentive for some of you to have more interaction, not only with me, but with other like-minded brothers and sisters. Help us continue to build this mere Catholic movement and grow in a deeper Catholicity together. If that's of interest to you, please click the link below and join today. Now, in today's episode, I wanted to talk about a question that I got I was going to just make a video about this, but I figured I would, I would just turn this into a podcast, make it a full podcast. And that's the question about my particular private devotional life. What do I do? How do I pray? What are the benefits of uh, the things that I do? Um, how have I structured my devotional life? Uh, things like that. And the, the reason I'm dedicating an entire podcast to that particular subject is not just so that I can share about what it is that I do, but also so that I can share what I've learned through practicing various devotions and the impact that it's had on me and even some of the areas that are a little bit newer to me or that I am not as good at and the kind of spiritual fruit that it has really created and cultivated in my life. And so I pray that as I share this kind of personal aspect of my life, that it would be encouraging to you and it would help us both as brothers and sisters in Christ to enter into a greater unity and a greater union with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, I kind of want to give a backstory because I came, as many of you know, from a more evangelical upbringing. Um, that's where I met Jesus, that's where I met Christ. But in terms of devotion then... It was very much framed in terms of you, you enter into this saved moment in time where now your salvation is done and the rest of your life ahead of you is simply a kind of living out this reality. It's just kind of living in the reality of Christ and seeking to live it out, seeking to deepen your relationship with him throughout your life. So the, the element of salvation being a present and future reality was very much divorced from the kind of framework that I had in an evangelical context. And so because of that, the devotional life was not seen as really part of salvation as much as it was simply the thing that you do now that you're a Christian. And so there was really not a lot of urgency in the way that I approached my devotional life for a very, very long time. For me, devotion consisted of reading your Bible every day as much as you can and trying to think about it throughout your day. And maybe if you're feeling really ambitious, journaling a little bit about it when you have time. Besides that, go to church on Sunday, take good notes during the sermon and move on with your life. 
that was my context. That was my upbringing. That was my framework for private devotion. Read your Bible, pray, journal. And in some ways, the devotional life of the church and the things that the church has provided are that, but with a lot more intentionality and a lot more of a robust theological view of soteriology tied to it. So as I kind of moved out of that and into Anglicanism, the very first thing that changed for me in my life was the exposure to the daily office, actually entering into a pattern of life that in some sense takes the Sunday liturgy and makes it this never-ending cycle of liturgical prayer. So instead of just attending church on Sunday and then living my life the rest of the week as though that's my time for God and then the rest of the week is other things, the daily office brought me into this constant and consistent rhythm of spiritual discipline, of liturgy, of communion and participation in God. And so that has been, without a doubt, the most groundbreaking part of my devotional life is daily participating in the daily office. And for those who know, I'm a postulant in the Missionary Society of St. John the Evangelist. And not only am I a postulant in there, I'm also a vowed member. I took vows to commit myself to the rule of life found in this society. And one of the commitments that you make in taking this vow to uphold the rule is to pray the daily office every single day without fail. And so every morning, I wake up and I pray the daily office. And sometimes I'll do this by myself. Other times I'll do it with uh, one of the Reformed Episcopal churches that are that's in the area. They have a Zoom call that they do at 8 a.m. in the mornings, and I'll jump on there and I'll pray with, with my brethren. And that is the pattern of my day. And I, I typically pl- pray the morning uh, prayer office and compline every single day. Those are the consistent ones. If I do midday prayer, and evening prayer and some of the other prayers, uh, then that's that's even better. But the ones that I'm very, very consistent in doing are morning prayer and compline. Now, in addition to that, as I've, obviously the daily office, as beautiful and as wonderful as it is, it's very much part of the Anglican tradition itself. And so as I've kind of looked into the devotional life and the devotional practices of the wider and greater Catholic Church, um, there have been a few that I have really, really latched onto, and one very much in particular. So the, the few that I have really latched onto have been um, the, the Rosary and the Jesus Prayer. And the one in particular that I have really fallen in love with over the years has been the Jesus Prayer. Um, I like the Rosary, I love the Jesus Prayer, and I like them both very much. But the Jesus Prayer for me has a very particular... Um, it resonates with me in a very particular way. And I've, I've heard other people say this, and I think it's, it's wise advice. Sometimes there's the temptation as you're entering into a more Catholic way of life to seek to kind of consume your time with all sorts of various devotions. You pick up this devotion and this devotion and this devotion, and that can be good for some people. There's no, I'm not seeking to discourage that. But what I've found and what I've been told from a lot of people and heard in various other places 
is that sometimes picking one particular devotion and just going all in on that one devotion is the best way to do things. And so I have found that the daily office, that, that's, my, that's my bread and butter, so to speak. But in terms of just a devotion that I really and genuinely could not live without, that to me encompasses everything I love about the faith and everything. It's, it's the gospel in a prayer, is the Jesus prayer. Um, and so I wear this band on my wrist, this prayer rope on my wrist. Uh, for those who are listening to the audio podcast, it's, a, it's an Orthodox prayer rope. I, I got it from Mount Athos. I believe it's about 300 knots. Um, and this is, this is I, I live with this thing. I wear it everywhere. I carry it with me. And I, I had it blessed by a priest who is also deeply uh, devoted to the Jesus prayer and has found it to be of great spiritual benefit. And so I got it blessed by him and I use it every single day. And the way in which I incorporate the Jesus prayer into my life is primarily in the very last moments of the day and the very, very beginning of the day. And those are the two times that without fail, I'm praying the Jesus prayer. And then just throughout the day at any point when I'm bored or any point where I have kind of a blank mind, I'll just start saying the Jesus prayer. But what I have found to be very helpful is I'll literally, I will lay down in bed as I'm getting ready to go to sleep and I will hold this prayer rope and I will just, as I'm laying down, pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'll shorten it sometimes to just, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Sometimes it's the full, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But I'll just pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And I'll just go down with the, the prayer rope and, and pray and pray and pray until I fall asleep. And so I put myself to sleep every single night with the Jesus prayer. And I'll wake up and sometimes the prayer rope is somewhere in the bed with me. Sometimes it's on the floor. That's not my concern. The concern is really praying this without fail every time I lie down and let the last words on my lips before I close my eyes for my rest, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And the impact that it has had on my spiritual health has been nothing short of profound. It's profound. It is profound to end your day with those words. And in the morning when I wake up, first thing I do is find where the prayer rope went in the middle of the night. And as soon as I find it, I pick it up and immediately, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And, and something that I'm trying to get in the habit of doing as well, which I used to be very good at, I kind of fell out of the pattern and I'm trying to get back into it, is waking up very early to pray. Um, so we're talking like about 4 a.m., 4 to 4.30 a.m., waking up, getting out of bed and taking my prayer rope uh, just walking around and praying. Sometimes I'll light a candle in front of an icon of Christ and just pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And let that for at least 30 minutes to an hour be the very first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning. And so the daily office, that's kind of my uh, around 8 a.m. in the morning, I pray the morning prayer. And before I sleep, I pray Compline. And then right after Compline, 
my prayer ropes in hand, and I'm praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is it. This is the Christian life. This is the devotional life of the Christian, is to seek to fill his mind and his heart with prayer. And I don't want to move too far before I go back and kind of grab my introduction and say, the reason that I'm pointing out the soteriological difference between my evangelical upbringing and where I am now is that my prayer life is not simply something I'm doing because, oh, I'm saved, and so this is what a saved person does. I'm doing this because I am not fully saved yet. (laughs) I am still in bondage to sin. I am still in need of healing. I am still in need of my great physician. And so my prayer is a, is a way for me to cry out to him for deeper communion, deeper union with him, that he might more um, powerfully transform me from one degree of glory to another, that I might become more like him, that I might be conformed to his image. And so now prayer is not simply just something I do because I'm a Christian. It's something I do because I want to see Christ I want to see his face. I want to know him better. I want to move further away from my sin and further towards him. And I want to be saved from my ailments. And so prayer is now an active part of my salvation. It's an active participating in pursuing God, cooperating with his grace that he might more uh, fully enter me and I might more fully uh, commune with him. And when you start to think about prayer this way, it becomes just as important as drinking water in the morning or, or eating throughout the day. We think about these things. These are necessary. If we don't do them, we will die. We need to start thinking about prayer that way. And if we think about salvation as a purely past tense reality, oh, this is something that I'm doing now because I am saved, we're not going to see it as a necessity as much as just something we do out of gratitude. But if we recognize, if I don't do this, I will die. If I am not spiritually fed, if I am not communing with the Lord, I'm going to seek communion elsewhere. And when I seek communion elsewhere, the only direction that that will lead is death. When you start to think about it that way, this is food, this is water, this is life, then it all of a sudden becomes something that you cannot live without. And so that has been another thing that has been powerful in my devotional life is there are days where I wake up and I don't feel like praying. Genuinely, I don't. And to be as vulnerable as I possibly can, there are days where I have not prayed and I have failed to do as I should do. And I have failed to uphold the rule of life that I vowed to uphold. And that is sin in me. That is, that is a great weight on my shoulders. And so it's not as though this is always easy or that once you go, oh yeah, I need this, you're going to always feel inclined to do it. Sometimes you don't. But one of the things that my father general has uh, talked to me about and has been very helpful in my own spiritual formation is that the Christian life is something you do out of not just a desire, but out of duty. We have a duty before the Lord. We have things that we must do. And true followers of Christ, those who love the Lord, 
are going to do as the Lord has told them, whether they feel like it or not. If we were to pray only when we felt like it, and we were to love one another only when we felt like it, it would be very few and far between that we would actually do these things because our feelings are all over the place. Our feelings are not the guide and the gauge for truth. And what we need to do is we need to take our will and we need to bring it into conformity with the Spirit of God. We need to take our intellect and our will and we need to submit it to the higher truths that govern it, to the absolute standards of truth that govern it, that govern it. And we need to accept responsibility and do our duty, even when we don't feel like it. And so one of the things that I have realized, and this is very, very important when we're talking about the devotional life, is that if we pray, even when we don't feel like it, we will never regret it. I've never regretted praying ever. There's never been a moment where I have woken up and gone, I don't feel like praying and done it anyways that I don't end and go, I'm glad I did that. When you utter the words of God, and this is especially true of the daily office where the majority of it is scripture, it does not return void ever. So even if you're not feeling it, so to speak, when you speak out loud the word of God, That word of God comes back to you and it does something. It is powerful. It is sacramental. It truly is. It is a means of grace. When you open scripture, you're not just reading words on a page. You are encountering the living word of God. You are encountering Christ himself. And so you have an opportunity there, even when you don't feel like it, to hear from God himself and to allow that to change you, to change your disposition. Maybe there's sin that needs to be uncovered. Maybe there's trauma, hurt, anger, frustration, things that need to be uncovered that are influencing your feelings that the word of God is going to speak into and heal. When we pray, when we read scripture, when we devote ourselves to God, his response to us is to heal us of our ailments and to bring us into a greater conformity to Christ. And sometimes that means that we take our disordered feelings and we bring them before the Lord and he orders them rightly. And I have always felt that my disposition has changed through prayer. Always. And the times when I avoid prayer because I'm not feeling it or I'm burdened by my sin or some other reason, I feel worse. As the day goes on, I feel worse having not communed with the Lord. So, all that to say, prayer, the devotional life of the Christian, is like food and drink. It is necessary or we die. And until we grasp that, we are going to be caught in this pattern of doing only the things that we feel like doing. I don't always feel like eating, and yet my body tells me, you need to do this, otherwise you're going to die. I don't always feel like drinking water, and yet my body tells me, you need to do this or you will die. In the same way, the spirit who gives us life tells us you need to do this or you will die. And we must oblige. We must make this of the utmost important more than food or drink for this is our eternal soul. Fear not the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. And I'm not saying that we should pray out of fear, but we should pray with a sense of of what it is that we're doing and a sense of what happens to us if we don't do it. 
is I think we live in a culture and a day and age now where we're, we talk about the benefits of things all the time. Oh, do this thing. It's very good for you. But we don't really talk about the downside. We go to church and we have people encourage us to read our Bibles every day. We have people encouraging us to pray. But we don't talk about the downside. What happens if you don't read the scriptures? What happens if you don't pray? And I'm here to tell you, you die. (laughs) That's what happens. You spiritually die. You become malnourished. You begin to atrophy. And eventually, you become a shell of what was once a human being. And this is the unfortunate reality of those in hell, is they are the ones who have avoided communion with God, who have forsaken it for communion with the world and with demons, and overcome with this reality. They wither away and they die. And even now we look at the world and we see the secular world and we see people that are in the midst and in the throes of death. Brothers and sisters, let it not be so of us. So prayer is very, very important. And the more that I think about it and the more that I talk about it and the more that I talk about even now, the more I realize I don't pray enough. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Paul couldn't possibly be literal when he said that, right? No, I think he was. Pray without ceasing. Always be in communion with God. When would we have time to sin? When would we have time to be distracted by things of the world if we are always communing with God? Let that be our goal, brothers and sisters. The other thing that I have done in my devotional life that has been immensely helpful has been in incorporating uh, the, the basic fasts of the church into my life and that would be on Wednesdays and Fridays and there's different ways to do this there's different extremes and and levels depending on where you are in your both your faith and also just what you can tolerate in terms of fasting the goal of fasting is not to punish the body or to hurt the body the goal of fasting is ultimately to bring yourself away from really ease and comfort to pull you into a place of reliance on Christ, on disciplining yourself to submit the passions to the greater good, which is Jesus Christ himself. And again, the end is ultimately communion. That's that's what we want. And so don't do this to hurt yourself or to punish yourself. Do this for communion with Christ. And I have found this to be immensely helpful. You would be surprised, brothers and sisters, how when you when you keep the body from eating, when you keep the body from participating in the foods that it wants to eat, and you tell it no, and you strengthen yourself, and you strengthen your ability to withstand the passions of the flesh, this translates to all sorts of other areas of life. It allows you to not lash out in anger as well, as fast. It allows you to avoid the temptation to lust and to turn away more easily. This is the goal of fasting is to not just strengthen your discipline here so you can commune with God, but to strengthen your discipline and other aspects of life. And the traditional way that the fast has been done on Wednesdays and Fridays has basically been to abstain from meats from dairy, eggs, uh, 
things like that, uh, oils, alcohol, and to really focus on simply eating vegetables, fruits, breads, things like that. Uh, very basic foods that are really uncommon in our modern day to be the main food that you eat. Most people are stuffing themselves with oily foods, with meats, fried, things like that, and they're indulging. And it's leading ultimately to unhealth as well. It's not just people are missing out on communion with God, they're actually denigrating their own temples, their bodies. And so what fasting allows is not simply (laughs) communion with Christ more deeply and more profoundly. It actually enables you to eat in a way that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord by taking care of his body and by giving yourself breaks from overindulgence in certain foods. Um, So it's not a complete fast from all food, but it is a fast from meat. It is a fast from oils. It is a fast from eggs and dairy products. And I'll be honest, there are some days where I'll, I'll have some eggs because I need the protein. Um, but I really try to be strict about meat specifically um, and dairy as well. And, and so, again, th- this is not necessarily you have to do it exactly this way. And if you don't, you're a failure and you're a sinner. But these are the basic parameters. Do it as you're able, fast as you're able. And ultimately do it for the right reasons, which is to reap the spiritual benefits. And I'll I'll just share one of the spiritual benefits that I have found in fasting is one, the discipline of saying no to foods that I would much rather eat for a much more meager and unsatisfying and not as tasty option. And in putting aside my own desires of the flesh, I'm able to devote myself more Uh, powerfully to prayer, to intimacy with Christ. And in doing that, I've also uncovered other sins that I wouldn't have known about in my life otherwise. So I'll give you an example of one. For the majority of my adult life, I have been into powerlifting, bodybuilding, things like that. And I was a personal trainer for a number of years and have always prided myself at both my strength as well as my physique. I worked hard to build a strong and muscular body that could perform well and also looked very good. And one of the things that came into my head as I was starting to begin fasting and entering into this historic practice of the church was, man, if I don't eat meat, if I'm not eating enough meat on Wednesdays and Fridays, that's two whole days of the week Or I'm not going to be in a calorie surplus. I'm not going to be getting enough calories to maintain the muscle and strength that I have. Maybe I should not fast. That was the thought that passed passed through my head. Maybe I should not fast because I don't want to damage my performance. Now, when I thought about that a little bit, I said, well, Jonah, why would it, why would that matter? Why would it matter if it, if it affects your performance and you lose some muscle? Well, because blah, 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 blah. And I rationalized for a while to myself. And eventually at the end of the line, I got to a point where I was able to admit to myself, because I want glory. I have vain glory that I'm seeking to achieve through this thing. And I realized it was an idol. I realized it was not a healthy thing for me. And so now, not only am I continuing to fast, but I'm fasting intentionally so that I don't idolize 
the size of my muscles or the strength that I have and use that as the benchmark for my identity or my public image or whatever it might be. I wouldn't have seen that sin, that fault in me had I not begun fasting. And so maybe for you, you'll fast and in your fasting you will see a sin. When we are resisting the things that our flesh desires, like food, we tend to uncover other things that it also desires that are unhealthy and not helpful for the body. And so I've found fasting to be immensely helpful. Um, And I have a greater clarity of mind when I fast. Uh, I I find that my digestive system feels better when you give it a break and a rest. You wonder why people are doing intermittent fasting and things like this. It's because there's true health benefits to it. So that is a cherry on top to the fundamental reality of fasting, which is that it brings us into greater communion with our Lord, which is ultimately the goal of any devotional practice. I think one of the things that we forget so easily as Christians is that the whole point of life, the point of everything that we do, the point of the breath in our lungs that the Lord graciously provides us, is to worship him in the beauty of holiness and enter into participation in his divine life. That is what we are moving towards. That is the purpose of, of the Christian life, which means that my breath is not my own. It is given to me for a purpose. And I can squander that through worldly, vain pursuits. Or I can say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me and let that be on my lips as often as possible. I can eat so that I look good. I lift heavy weight. I feel awesome and manly. Or I could eat simply as a way to sustain my body for the work that the Lord has for me to do in my community, in my family. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about martyrdom being the pinnacle of Christian faithfulness. And I pointed out that the reason it's the pinnacle of Christian faithfulness is that if the idea of Christianity is to be conformed to the image of Christ, if that's the goal, that's the ultimate theosis, so to speak, is full conformity to Christ's image. Nothing images Christ better than dying a martyr's death. That is right there we see the picture of full conformity to the image of Christ, dying a martyr's death. And we were talking about the implications of this, and I pointed out that oftentimes it is through suffering, through tribulation, that we enter into deeper communion with Christ, when we share in his sufferings, and that's why martyrdom is the ultimate form of that. But how often do we as cushy Western American Christians, avoid difficulty, avoid trouble, avoid tribulation, avoid trial, discomfort, suffering. 
I would say that our culture has built itself around avoidance of suffering. We try to adorn our homes with the comforts of the world. We fill our fridges with all the food that one could want so that we never have to go to bed with any discomfort. We try to secure jobs that'll give us a sense of security, false as they may be, of looking at a number in our bank account and saying, this will protect me from discomfort. This will protect me from suffering. And we avoid the very thing that our Lord Jesus Christ did. The very thing that he did for us was suffer. So what does it mean to pick up our cross and follow Jesus? Well, if we're picking up a cross, we're not going somewhere pleasant. We are joining him on the road of suffering. We are joining him on the road to death, ultimately. And we're all going to die. That's the inevitable reality. And so if Christ suffered for us, then brothers and sisters, let us commune with him through embracing our suffering, embracing trial and difficulty and tribulation, seeking it out even, not in a masochistic way, but in a way that recognizes that it is in difficulty, it is in suffering, that our attachment to the things of this world becomes less and less, and our reliance on Jesus Christ becomes more and more. And this can be in little ways, and this comes full circle. When I wake up at 4 a.m. and grab my prayer rope and start praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, my head is sometimes slouching and falling. My eyes are heavy. I don't feel like doing it. And yet, as weak as I am, as much growth as I need to have, <laughs> I try my best to do it anyways because if Christ could suffer and die for me, I can certainly wake up early to commune with him. It's not always easy to turn away strong and angry words with a gentle answer. And yet, my Lord suffered and died for me. I can respond to this person with grace and mercy. It's not always easy to turn the other cheek, and yet, my Lord suffered for me. So I don't have to respond in kind. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to live day to day. We are trying to be like Christ. We're not trying to know all the right stuff. We are trying to be like Jesus Christ. And I have found in my limited experience, I have many years ahead of me, Lord willing, where I'm going to hopefully grow and grow and grow far beyond the immaturity that I have right now. But the one thing I have learned is that there is no such thing as too much prayer. There is no such thing as too much scripture reading. There is no such thing as too much devotion. So whatever it is that you have chosen as your devotion, and you need to choose something, otherwise you will die, as I said earlier, do it with all your heart. Commit to it every day. Never fail. Even when you don't feel like it. Listen. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is the easiest prayer that has ever been spoken. Doesn't matter if you're in bed with 105 fever and you feel like you couldn't do anything, you can still pray the Jesus prayer. There is no excuse. We have no excuse to avoid devotion. And yet we're so distracted we can wake up. And I have done this myself. I'm not talking down to anybody. I have woken up and I have gone through my entire day without uttering a single word to my Lord. Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy on me. Lord have mercy on us for doing this, for neglecting so great a thing. I pray that as I have shared with you my devotional life, the things that I have found deeply precious, deeply edifying, that it would inspire you not necessarily to do exactly what I do, but to pray and to ask the Lord, Lord, lead me to a devotion that is honoring to you, that I can stick to, that I can do every day without fail. Give me, give me the grace to do that. And then pick something and do it. Whether that's the rosary, whether that's the Jesus prayer, whether that's the daily office, whether that's the hours, whatever it might be. Be faithful. Be faithful. Do your duty and pray without ceasing to the very best of your ability. And every day when you go to bed, ask the Lord for the grace to pray more the next day and more the next day that we in the end by the grace of God by his mercy alone may be fully conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I appreciate your time watching this I hope it wasn't too wordy uh, when I talk about more of the devotional side of things and the less heady side of theology which tends to be a lot of my channel I tend to get a lot more passionate and can just kind of ramble on. But I, I, I hope this wasn't rambling. I hope it was helpful. hope it was edifying. And I hope that it was an encouragement to you to dig your heels into the devotional life and to embrace it. The church has given us an immense blessing through the church calendar with its various feast days, its various collects, its various prayers. It's given us immense beauty and tools like prayer ropes and rosaries that are tangible objects that we can hold and carry with us to remind us to pray. We have the holy scriptures that we can open, that we can encounter the living God. We have so much by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Holy Church that we can use at our disposal to commune with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so I pray that this was helpful to you to do something. Do something. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching, uh, don't forget to subscribe and share this if it was helpful. And with that, I will talk to you all in the next podcast. God bless.